The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Multiple recent studies have shown a rise in early onset cancer. That's cancer in people under the age of 50. One report in particular has surveillance data that's been accumulated over the past 10 years. With a quarter of the U.S. population being surveyed, it showed about half a million, so about 500,000 cancers that they would classify as early onset cancers. Certainly over the last five or six years, we've noticed this um, even just on a day-to-day basis with certain cancers. The study showed the biggest increase in younger people getting diagnosed with breast and colorectal cancers. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, we are now four years from the start of the COVID pandemic. Can you believe that? That's amazing. I don't know where time goes. Its, it's ramifications are still being felt. And I think they will be for a long time. Uh, for starters, there are the mRNA vaccines that were given to millions of Americans, millions of people really around the globe, not just Americans. Uh, documents are coming out now showing that the risks for myocarditis, they were actually known. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is going to be joining me in a few minutes. We'll get him on the air to take a look at this. You know, all these young men having these heart attacks. Um, and, and there's data saying that this was indeed a possibility. Uh, they knew this and companies pushed that data aside. There's also a new study that came out and found that the forecast models for the number of COVID deaths around the world, well, they were off. Actually, the word I, I, I saw in the report, they called it deeply flawed. So in addition to, you know, there are those who are connecting, you know, the the shots to something called Vexus. I don't know if you heard about this. I, I, I don't know a whole lot about it, and I hope Dr. J can break it down for us. There's something called Vexus syndrome. It's an auto-inflammatory condition. And uh, it was first found, guess when? 2020. We're seeing a rise in vasculitis and a whole litany of other things. So what I want to do today is kind of do an update, bring you up to speed on the latest news that's developing regarding COVID. Maybe you got a loved one, somebody who is battling long COVID right now. Maybe, uh, you know, the effects of, of COVID you've not been able to shake. I found out last week that China has already completely analyzed uh, the COVID genome, and they did this in in late December, December of 2019. That's what this report said. Uh, That's just two weeks before they they were told, you know, gosh, there was so much deception going on, right? Just go back in time for a minute. Do you remember December of 2019? I mean, this was so on. We have this strange new virus that's out. People are getting sick. The media is reporting these massive deaths every night. You know, morgues are overflowing. Everybody who died was attributed with COVID, right? I've seen reports of people who had heart attacks and even suicide and car accidents. In some cases, there have been reports done on. Now, that's that's a little extreme, but you, but you get the point, right? So China apparently uh, analyzed the COVID genome in, in late December of 2019. That's two weeks before they told the World Health Organization even about the disease. Two weeks, half a month's gone by. Their analysis was given to the U.S. shortly after China completed it, but because of some technicalities, apparently the paper wasn't published. Uh, it doesn't resolve the lab leak, though, and it, it does raise issues of how how much China knew and when, right? This didn't come out of a wet market, right? China knew. Um, how much did the U.S. know? That's the other question. 
I was thinking about that. We like to point fingers at China, right? But how, how much did the U.S. know about this? I mean, Trump shut down, you know, it, it, it flights from China. Remember that? Oh, boy, he took a lot of heat for that, too. And then when this hit Europe, of course, people were coming over. He Eventually, we had to shut down our border that way. But, boy, people thought he was... He, he was out of line doing that. But th one other thing here, too, and let's let's talk about it. We'll take your calls, too. Feel free to join us. There's something else going on that I think is really interesting that may or may not be connected to COVID. I'll throw it out. Um, I, I'm going to probably do a show on this in the in the future. I want to dive into this. I've, I've heard so many cases of people with cancer, and maybe you're one of those. Maybe you've got a loved one that's battling cancer. The number of cancer cases in the country is rising. And not only that, but the types of cancers that are being found are really aggressive, rapid cancers. And along with that, they're being found in younger people, more, you know, more of the younger getting cancer. Now, generally speaking, cancer is an older person's disease, but the Wall Street Journal, um, this is where I saw it, they were reporting that, that young people are getting cancer at much higher rates. I, and I, you know, I never heard of so many people between 15 and 39 having the highest rates of new cancers. My own producer, Tom Siskevich, um, he had a daughter who uh, came down with a, uh, an aggressive cancer, and it literally devoured her. Uh, she died at the age of, I think she was 30 or 30, well, I think she was about 30 years old when she passed away. And um, this cancer went to her brain, and then it just spread throughout her body, unlike anything they saw. And you know they didn't even know she had it. 30 days later, she's dead. Um, and it's tragic. It's just, it's one of many, many cases. And again, we'll probably dive into that issue in greater detail. But let's talk some COVID today. And if you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you're going through long COVID, if you've got concerns, uh, brought to you one of our favorite experts. That's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He teaches at the Center for Primary Care and Outcomes Research at Stanford University School of Medicine. And he is a specialist in infectious disease epidemiology. And he's back once again. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, good afternoon and welcome back. Thanks to be, uh, for having me on. I'm really delighted to be on with you. Yeah, I, I love talking with you and I've been following these stories. Uh, I, I think a lot of listeners, they hear these new stats about cancer. And I don't know whether you can even speak to this or not, rising amongst the young. And they automatically assume this connection to the mRNA vaccine. In fact, my producer, Tom, I think makes that connection. That's why I'm bringing it up. Um, is there any evidence that there there is some sort of connection? I mean, what do you know? I mean, that might be a big leap, and I want to be very careful about what we say. But but your thoughts? Sure. So first, uh, the the reports that you like you just mentioned in the Wall Street Journal are based on a study that was just recently released by some scientists with the American Cancer uh, Society, and uh, mainly they they the, the cancer statistics are often reported with some delay. So they're looking at cancer statistics from before the pandemic. Gotcha. They're looking at trends before the pandemic. So it's, this is, I don't think, related to anything that happened during the pandemic, the, the, at least the, the, the most recent reports, like in that Wall Street Journal report you talked about. Um, the, the, uh, the most concerning thing that it reported was that there was increasing rates of cancer, uh, like colorectal cancer, for instance, uh, in younger people, which wasn't, uh, well, I mean, it is pretty rare in young people, but it's, it's rising, and that's, that's a source for concern. But the broader picture before the pandemic was actually quite reassuring. The mortality rate for people who were diagnosed with cancer had actually come down over decades. I mean, over the last decade, certainly quite, quite a lot. Um, 
the 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 rates of getting cancer at uh, for overall in the population, not in young people, but overall. So it, it also started to come down. Spe- specifically for lung cancer, there was a lot of good news because our smoking rates had come down so low that lung cancer rates had just plummeted. Um, so it, it the backdrop coming into the pandemic was some concern about cancer for younger people, but a lot of a lot of good news overall about cancer. Uh, what I'm afraid of, Drew, is that during the pandemic, we we took our eye off the ball. We told people that uh, that COVID was more important than getting screened for cancer. Uh-huh. And this same report that finds that, like well, overall pretty good news, except for maybe for, for colorectal cancer in young people, yeah. also f- says that it's likely that these skipping cancer screening and all this sort of short-sightedness during COVID is likely to lead to higher deaths from cancer cancer diagnosed at later stages in the coming years as we as as the the consequences of that sort of very short-sighted decision play itself out yeah my guest today dr jay Bhattacharya. if you want to join us our number 888-914-9149 i'll go to the phones in just a second but just follow up on this cancer issue as well um in terms of the young and that's what's so striking to me and okay screening is one thing um do you think environmental factors, diet, ingested chemicals like hormonal birth control, combination of those, plasticides? I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think there are, are – are we seeing an increase for a reason? I mean, that is a, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, you know, if you're talking about colorectal cancer, that is our GI tract. Yeah. And so, of course, it will be affected by the things we consume, the environmental uh, uh, kind of uh, exposure that we have. Uh, and so that that's a that's a major issue. And unfortunately, I don't think doctors have a good answer to your question, Drew. We don't know what the cause is. We just know that in younger people, we're seeing more colorectal cancer. Um, and uh, I think there's some one of these things where, like, we really do need to have much better research and much more of a focus so that we can understand how these environmental exposures may or may not play a role in uh, causing cancer. Well, let's do this. We'll take a few calls. I've got a million questions for you. We could talk about everything from when China knew about this to the fact you've been vindicated uh, almost every day, you know, for the stance you took on COVID. I was thinking about that the other day to mRNA vaccines. So if you want to join us, it's 888-914-9149. But let me, uh, We'll start Miami, Florida. Joe's got a question for you, doctor. Joe, good afternoon. You're on the air with Dr. Bhattacharya. Hi, good afternoon. Um, so my question is twofold. Uh, I took a an antiviral cocktail in 2020 that was uh, called Regeneron, and it's based off animal cells. So my question is as follows. Uh, uh, vaccines, they're... The traditional vaccines are based off animal cells. What would be the difference between those and mRNA and their efficacy? So, so, uh, Joe, thanks for the question. So, if I if I understand, so you 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 took Regeneron, which is a monoclonal antibody uh, that was first available in yeah, it's for to treat treat COVID. In fact, I think President Trump took the same same treatment when he got COVID in, uh, in 2020, October, yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a pretty, at the time, a pretty effective treatment. Although as the, the virus mutated, uh, you had to like change the, the cocktail that you used. Uh, I wouldn't worry so much about long-term effects from that. I, the, the evidence on that that I've seen is pretty reassuring. And if it helped you get over COVID, I mean, that's all, all the better. Yeah. 
Um, regarding your question about the vaccines and animals, um, you know, it's, that's the, it's, it's not so much whether the vaccines are derived from animals or not. I mean, all of the vaccines involve animal testing, for instance. Uh, the question is, empirically, what evidence is there that it prevents you from getting the disease? What evidence is there that it prevents you from, uh, from dying if you get the disease? And are there other side effects from it? Um, and those are those are complicated sets of questions. I'll tell you very broadly that the vaccines, uh, while people hoped at the beginning it would be very effective against preventing people from getting all the diseases, uh, from getting COVID, uh, in, in fact, oh, it, it, the, it, the efficacy against infection waned very rapidly over time. And there are some serious concerns about side effects uh, that uh, Drew, Drew mentioned earlier, early in the show, and specifically, for, especially for young men, a higher rate of myocarditis, which is a disease of, of heart inflammation. Um, so it's, it's, this is one of these things where it might be a good idea for some people and not so, such a good idea for others. Uh, if you took the vaccine a long time ago and uh, you, know, you haven't really experienced symptoms since, I think actually it's probably just things are going to be just fine. Um, but you know, it, it may be more complicated if the vaccine did cause some side effects in you. Well, uh, Joe, thank you for your call. I'm going to move along because there's a lot of calls I want to get in here too. Uh, following up on Joe's question, though, about mRNA vaccines, I, I want to play a little bit of audio for you, and maybe you can address what information we're now finding about mRNA vaccines that wasn't revealed when they were first rolled out. But listen to this. This is audio from Tucker Carlson. He did an interview where the guest tells him that the World Health Organization um, what they're going to do during the next pandemic. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Is Which one is it, Maggie? Maggie, no, you're right. Is she saying um, this is where a guest was telling him uh, about the concerns that they have regarding mRNA vaccines? Listen to this. The technology itself has a terrible safety flaw that, in my opinion, never would have gotten through even the most cursory safety tests. And that flaw is that there's no targeting of the lipid nanoparticles. The lipid right. nanoparticles will be taken up by any cell they encounter. And while that's not perfectly random, it will be haphazard around the body. Now, if they were limited, if they simply stayed in the injection site, as we were told when the uh, vaccine rollout began, that the, the vaccines, the so-called vaccines stay in the injection site, well, then the cells that took up these messages would be in your deltoid. And what happens next wouldn't be terribly serious. The problem is we learned very quickly and should have predicted from the get-go that they weren't going to stay in the deltoid. All of anything you inject in that space is going to leak out and it's going to circulate around the body. So that was Brett Wentz, uh, Weinstein on Tucker's show talking about mRNA vaccines. Doctor, your thoughts? Uh, so uh, Br uh, Brett is a friend of mine and he's a very, very bright and well-informed man. Um, and he's right. He's, he, we don't have any assurance when you inject uh, the vaccine, this mRNA lipid you know, particle vaccine, that it would stay exactly where it's supposed to stay. The question is, what damage did it or did it not cause? Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think um, if you look broadly at the epidemiological data, it, it, I think the answer depends on who you were, right? So I think you mentioned, Drew, a higher rate of myocarditis in mm -hmm. young men. Yep. I mean, I've seen epidemiological data that suggests that that rate may be or anywhere between one and two thousand and one and ten thousand young men who got the, vac the vaccine had myocarditis of some sort, which is just too high for a vaccine that doesn't really, particularly what needed for young men who don't get harmed by COVID very much. Right. Um, 
and for different uh, so for different conditions, uh, you know, you can you like there's reports of neurological conditions like Bell's palsy. You know, your face freezes partly for for a while mm-hmm. um, from the vaccine. I've seen um, uh, reports about uh, seizures in toddlers. Uh, the rates are not. I mean, they're not. Uh, you know, one in two. It's more like one in. 10,000 ish. I mean, I, you know, it depends on the condition of the individual. Um, but he's, he's, he's right. This is one of these things where the safety concerns really weren't addressed as rapidly and with enough as vigor as I would have expected for a new technology like the one that was rolled out. Yeah, I, Doctor, are we learning things today about these vaccines that weren't revealed when they first were rolled out? We absolutely are, right? So, for instance, uh, a, a, a few weeks ago, a scientist found that the production process for develop, for producing the mRNA vaccines involved uh, something called a DNA plasmid. So some of the vials of the vaccines that people had that injected were not, this was not part of the original trials, actually had some DNA contamination in it. Again, the question is what effect it had. Probably for most people, it didn't do anything because uh, we... Our, our cells are efficient at, at managing to you know, chew up foreign DNA. But who knows? These are the kinds of safety concerns that should have been addressed before the vaccine rollout, not during or not long afterwards. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, is this the future of, of vaccine development, mRNA? I know there was a lot of talk about that at one point in time. And should we be concerned about taking an mRNA vaccine? I was hopeful when the technology first came out, but I don't think that, I think the next time that that, that, that uh, doctors want to use the, this platform for vaccination, yeah. it's going to be a tough sell. I mean, you can already see in the boosters, a yeah. uh, you know, very small fraction of the American population has taken up the boosters despite recommendations for, for you know, basically everyone. Um, yeah. It's going to be tough to... All right, uh, my guest, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, we're talking all things COVID. There's a lot to get into. Uh, Tom is in Delafield, Wisconsin. Tom, hi, you're on the air with Dr. Bhattacharya. Hi, Drew, really enjoy your show, and Dr. Jay really enjoyed listening to you on Fox. Um, You mentioned colorectal, and I had a personal situation, just wondered if you could shed light on it. I wasn't uh, real excited about getting the vaccine, but I had a daughter who worked in a NICU and so kind of thought we should do it and I got the first shot and 10 days later I was admitted to the hospital with uh, an abscess near my intestines that was the size of a softball and they ended up draining it and you know scanning a lot of things and saying you're going to need your colon removed and I asked the infectious disease people there if they thought it was tied into the vaccine and they they didn't and I said well what should I do with the vaccine I I took one shot it was the Johnson and Johnson that you needed to or no the the Pfizer that needed to and they said well I'd wait a few more weeks so I waited a few more weeks and 10 days later I was admitted to the hospital with an abscess the size of a tennis ball and they had to delay taking the colon out because things were such a mess and Eventually, they they things simmer down, and they did remove my colon. But I just wondered if you had any thoughts or observations on that. Hey, Tom, thanks for the call. I'm sorry for what you had to go through. Doctor, your thoughts? No, thanks. Oh, Tom, 
Yeah, Tom, that sounds like a really tough time. Uh, I'm glad you made it through the other side. Um, I, I mean, it's. I don't think I, I haven't seen epidemiological data that convinced me that that the vaccine would be the cause of that. I mean, there are other reasons that are much more likely the cause of that. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I hope that you've gotten the appropriate treatments. I mean, it sounds like you have from doctors who are who know what they're doing um, uh, to to treat the immediate thing, even even if we don't know specifically what the what the ultimate cause of, of the condition you had was. I don't know if I should say the doctor's name on the air or not, so I probably won't. Uh, but there was a physician from the West Coast. Uh, he told me off air, and he didn't take the vaccine. He actually got fired from his job and. This thing, you know, went went up the court system. But um, he he told me he says, look, uh, once the vaccines came out, he says, guys in my practice, he had a practice of twenty three guys or something, all were starting to get the shots, and, and he said something like five out of twenty of them or something along those lines came down with cancers, different cancers. So he didn't get the shot, and in large part because of that, because he was very concerned there might be something in this new vaccine that is exacerbating or creating these aggressive cancers. And again, Doc, I, I, you know, maybe we'll learn with time and maybe you can't speak to that, but I just heard Tom, I heard other people talk about this. These could all be anomalies, right? And maybe that's the case. Maybe there's well, I mean, something. I, I don't want to jump, jump to any conclusions one way or the other, Drew. I mean, I think yeah. you're right to be, to, to say, look, we want to see what the data show. And often, um, you know, like longer term effects, cancer is not a disease that grows fast. Generally, usually takes time to develop. Um, uh, and so it also takes time yeah. to do the evaluations of, of co connections. Um, I have to say, though, I think uh, the, the, the set of things I've seen, the results I've seen for what are side effects of this vaccine, like severe ones, um, you know, I think we, it's enough to say, let's be cautious with this. Yeah. in the future. Yeah. Let's be cautious. Like the myocarditis alone should have been a yeah. warning signal about being, being cautious with it. And everyone agrees that, that myocarditis was an outcome of this vaccine. And yet we recommended that young men take it at scale. We recommended babies take this vaccine. Why, why the push? Why, why give a baby this? Why give kids this? I mean, I think the argument that you'll hear is, well, there are some kids that die from COVID. Well, you know, the vaccine wasn't, didn't, uh, the, the, the randomized trials didn't check to see whether the vaccines prevent COVID deaths in children and in, in, in young, young and, uh, and toddlers. Uh, and in, in fact, um, uh, the death rate from COVID in young, uh, in, in young people, like especially in, in, in children and babies, is very, very, very low. They have faced many, many other risks in their lives that are much higher. So why, why do this? I, I think it was just um, a misplaced desire to, to protect children from a disease that we, we were scared of ourselves, even though the kids themselves faced vanishingly small risk from it. The, the current administration continues to push the vaccines. I mean, we're up to what eight eight, eight boosters now, or some ridiculous number. It's just like I, I don't know. Uh, you're the doc. Uh, let me go back to the phones. Thousand Oaks, California. Tim, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering if I could ask about the accuracy of the PCR test, yeah. the polymerase chain reaction test. Yeah, please. Um, so. I, I believe I've heard that the nucleic, you know, the RNA sequence of the COVID virus is about 30 or 32,000 nucleic acids. And as I understand it, the PCR test only really checks for maybe 100. Hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, is it really, an, is it very, I guess the word is specificity. Is there very, is it very specific to the COVID-19 virus only? Yeah. So the answer to that is yeah, yes, it is specific to the COVID-19 virus. But the problem is that uh, that's not enough 
uh, it's not enough information, right? So the major problem with the PCR test is that it picks up that a positive to the to the virus, even when the virus essentially is not replicating in you. It, 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 it's positive even to dead viral fragments. And what you said is correct. It's not checking for the entire genome of the virus. It's only checking for small parts of it. Um, the, the parts are picked because they are specific to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but they're very, very sensitive. So even, even if you, uh, so like, for instance, it was pretty common to have a PCR test stay positive long after you got better. And, and when it was tied to, to quarantining, what would happen is that people would be, feeling 100% better, the PCR test was still positive and they're still forced to be quarantined. Um, so I think that the, the, the use of the PCR test mm. led to a lot of people that really didn't need to be quarantined, quarantined. And um, wow. yeah, I think it was, I think that, that was the major problem with the PCR test in my view. Hey, Tim, thanks. It's, it's oh, oh, go ahead, Tim. Okay. No, go ahead. Oh, well, no, well I, I was just wondering, so there is no really possible crossover of other nucleic acid sequence from, like, say, the uh, influenza A virus or, mm -hmm. or I mean, it's, it's, it's really it's unlikely. It, it, it's really, that's really unlikely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the viruses are different enough. The PCR test was designed yeah. not to react to those parts of the, of the, the virus that would have some commonality with other viruses. There was some worry about whether it reacts positively to other coronaviruses. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it uses a spike well, protein well, I, as the primary target um, of this virus, well, and it's fairly specific. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Oh, thank no you, Yeah, please. Thank you. You know, I, I, as Tim's talking, I think about my own son, who recently his wife came down with COVID. Right? She tested. She, she was sick. Then he not, he didn't feel well, and he came down. So he tested, and they said, "Is the PCR test said no COVID?" Right? So he said, "Okay." Day goes by and feels even worse. So he retests, and the COVID shows up. Do those PCR tests, are they hit and miss at times? I mean, because clearly he had COVID. Uh, he lived in the same house with her, and it manifested a day later. I mean, how accurate are they? Because if somebody takes them once and says, oh, I don't have COVID, and they go out to work, and now everybody's getting COVID. I mean, it's uh, that, that, the answer to that question is actually more complicated than you would think. Mm. And the reason is that, uh, like, let's say it's March 2020, and very, very few people have had COVID. Um, you as soon as you get exposed to it, you're going to start, your body's going to start replicating with the virus and your PCR would pick it up very quickly. Now, most people have had COVID and recovered or have some immunity to it. So your body suppresses it early, even though you have it, the PCR test may not pick it up because it's in, it's in so low numbers early on because of immunity. So the PCR test may once have been very, very sensitive early on, and but now no longer. Uh, I, I mean, it's another thing. I, you know, I just I think California just made a recommendation that you can go back to work um, if you're asymptomatic, even with a positive test. I think um, I, I, after a day or something. I mean, I think COVID is really transformed. It's no longer the disease it once was, in large part because of immunity in the population. We really shouldn't be structuring our lives around it anymore. Not that we should ever should have to begin with. All right, my guest today, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Doctor, I have to take a short pause. You know, you know how this works. If you're on hold, I'll do my best to get you on. If you want to join us, feel free to dial in. The number is 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Taking a look today at all things COVID. Uh, we've got long COVID. We've got myocarditis. We've got um, whether or not vaccines could trigger uh, vasculitis. Uh, even one report I saw about 
some sort of damage actually to the brain, uh, a whole litany of other things, damage to multiple organs. Uh, we can look at that. We can take a look at uh, everything from PCR tests to your calls and questions. So stay with us. Our conversation will continue right after this. Wish you could hit rewind on that convo? Listen to the podcast on RelevantRadio.com or anywhere podcasts can be found. You're speaking in grand terms that three years ago I might have laughed at. and not laughing at all. You're also choosing as, you know, a 50-year-old man to say this stuff out loud and to pursue the truth as you find it and then to talk about it. Why did you decide to do that? I literally cannot understand how I would sleep at night, how I would look at myself in the mirror if I didn't say what needed to be said. I call the force that we're up against Goliath. Goliath made a terrible mistake and made it most egregiously during COVID, which is it took all of the competent people, all of the courageous people, and it shoved them out of the institutions where they were hanging on and it created in so doing the dream team it created every player you could possibly want on your team to fight some historic battle against a terrible evil the drew mariani show, drew mariani show. on relevant radio i love that huh very poetically said good afternoon thank you for joining me if you are just tuning in we're taking a look at um well, all things COVID, uh, I want to send a shout out to Joel Hazard, a board member here at Relevant, who's sent me some really interesting articles on COVID. And the conversation we're having ranges from, um, you know, uh, who sequenced this? When did, wh what were the origins of it? Uh, how long has it been out? Uh, what about the other uh, side effects that we're seeing from COVID amongst a lot of other things? You know, that's a big question here. The U.S., um, had the COVID sequence in 2019. But here's the, here's the backstory. Two weeks before a researcher made the genetic sequence for that SARS-CoV-2 virus, before they made it available to the world, a Chinese, there was a Chinese scientist who quietly posted it to a U.S. government website. And that earlier posting, it doesn't change the virus's origin, right? Whether it sparked by a live animal from a wet market, some bat, right? Or whether it leaked from a scientific laboratory. I, mean, I don't know where you stand on those theories, but um, it does renew questions. It raises questions about how much China knew about the virus and when, right? What are the origins of this? You know, what we're seeing here, this at least suggests to me that the vaccine development could have started sooner, right? We could have saved millions. We could have saved, I don't know how many lives if, if this information got out earlier. And it raises new questions about how much the U.S. government knew or should have known about the virus in those early days. Uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is my guest today, and it's a delight to have him. He teaches at the Center for Primary Care and Outcomes Research at Stanford University School of Medicine, specialist in infectious disease epidemiology. He'll take your calls too. But doctor, I want to get back to the origins of this. This is the big question. I don't know what your theory is, whether it came from a leaked lab or whether it came from a, a wet market. But uh, the origins of this, when the Chinese knew, and the lives that could have been saved if the sequence was was shared earlier. I mean, I think the, the first question, as, as you're right to address it, is uh, is wh when did the Chinese authorities first realize the virus was uh, you know, you know, going circulating? Um, and uh, the, the fact that they hid, the, uh, we know for at least for two weeks, the fact that the virus was circulating 
I mean, it's, it is a major scandal. Yeah. If we'd known about it earlier, uh, if, before the virus had widely circulated, then actually focused quarantines could have been effective. We could have developed testing for it earlier. There was a lot of things that we could have done that might have made it so that the virus never you know, s- spread out beyond the local places where it first started. Um, so I think that that is a major scandal. Uh, and I think uh, I, I don't know why it hasn't got as much attention as it, as it deserves. But then apart from that, second from that is also the, the origin of the virus itself. And Drew, it is increasingly looking like this was the result of a, a, an experimental uh, uh, paradigm to, aimed at preventing pandemics. Hmm. In order to prevent pandemics, the reasoning went, let's make viruses find them in the wild places, and make them more pathogenic, more likely to infect humans, so we can know if they're likely to make the jump. And evidence from you know, biochemical sources, also from the fact that there seems to be, have been a cover-up of this of yeah. support for this activity by American funders like Tony Fauci, is strongly suggesting that this was actually the result of a a systematic in, uh, a, a systematic approach mm-hmm. trying to prevent pandemics. This was a lab leak. Yeah. That's what it's looking like. Yeah, of course. I, I wonder if one day we'll actually know, you know, if that information will come to light. I hope so. You take a look at this pandemic. I mean, the Spanish flu, 1908, was the last great pandemic like that. But, boy, this has changed the world and took a lot of lives. Susan Oaklawn, Illinois, she's got a comment for you, Dr. Hi, Sue. You're on the air with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Hi, Drew. Hi, doctor. I just had a question. A few days ago, I read an article online stating that the researchers have manipulated the coronavirus to attack the brain, and it was 100% fatal in mice, and quote-unquote organizations are afraid of it leaking uh, into the public. Have you heard about this? Because this, this thing terrifies me, if it's true. Yeah, so I uh, thank you, Sue, for the question. Um, I have seen there was a there was a uh, a report out of a Chinese lab that's working on coronaviruses that managed to take a different virus, different coronavirus, and make it, uh, I mean, just make it much more deadly, uh, and it and you know it kills off effects at very high rates. Um, this is really dangerous research. So the question of whether we should allow this research to go on is not just a theoretical one; it's, it's going on now. And if, it, if, if this kind of research, this kind of gain-of-function research, actually led to the, 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 the pandemic itself, this is something that we, as the, as the people, should say no. Like, we have uh, – scientists uh, have an obligation to, do, to, to make sure that their experiments don't endanger people. And I think what we're talking about is some of the most dangerous experiments that have ever been conducted. Sue, thank you for the thank call. You. I, I do appreciate it. That's a that's an interesting point she brought up, uh, Doctor. There are other things that we are seeing here too, um, from the brain. Uh, some vaccinated COVID infected people are supposedly being diagnosed with a new type of disease, and I don't know much about this. It's an auto inflammatory disease. It was discovered, I think, twenty twenty. It's called Vexus syndrome. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, I mean, it's a, it was a recently characterized, I think, as you said, in 2020 uh, c- condition. It's a it's based on a, uh, a, a mutation in the X chromosome, mainly for it turns out mainly for men. So men are X, Y, but they you get one mutation in the X chromosome and it causes all kinds of inflammation in, in, and, uh, and symptoms all over the body. Uh, it's relatively rare. Uh, the, and the, the thought is that it's not a genetic, uh, it's not something you inherit from your parents, 
but rather it's based on a mutation that you attain during your lifetime. And nobody knows really what is the cause of that mutation. Wow, fascinating. Irma is listening to us in Ripon, California, near Modesto. Hi, Irma. Good afternoon. Hi, Drew. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just calling. My daughter has a, a friend, coworker, and she's married, and um, her and her husband are both vaccinated. And they, um, she had a miscarriage, a baby, and then another miscarriage, and apparently they regretted mm-hmm. being vaccinated. And I think it's a holistic doctor that they go to. They took something sublingual to make them vomit um, to get rid of the effects of the vaccine. I was just wondering if the doctor has heard of anything like that. So first of all, uh, on um, the vaccine and pregnancies, you know, uh, uh, Drew had me on earlier, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and uh, people were asking me about that. And I I thought that we didn't have enough evidence to recommend that young, uh, young women who were thinking about getting pregnant or who were pregnant to take it. Um, I don't know that it causes uh, miscarriages, but there's evidence that it might. Um, and so the the issue is like, what's the benefit versus harm? It, it didn't make sense. And I'm really, really sorry to hear about uh, about the, your friend. Um, as far as this, this uh, drug that someone might take to sort of get rid of the effects of the vaccine, I, I've not heard of such a thing like that. Um, that there's no, no 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 such drug, especially like a sublingual thing. That uh, I mean, I don't I don't I don't know of any such drug like that. So I'm not. I wonder what your friend's uh, doctor was telling him to take. All right, Irma. Yeah. Go ahead, Irma. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. For taking uh, my call. Yeah, people make these leaves too, and these connections, right, Doc? And I don't blame anybody. You know, whether you're seeing aggressive no, cancers right. or miscarriage, and people instantly say, "Could it be?" Well, I mean, even miscarriage, it might be. I mean, this is yeah. one of these things where I haven't seen a definitive yeah. evaluation. There's been some uh, some reports that have been uh, somewhat, uh, you know. Hip, hip, it made me feel better about it. But on the other hand, it's it, nothing definitive. And, and we're, these are the things that we really ought to continue to study until we until we know the answer. Yeah, no kidding. Sharon's in Aurora, Illinois. Shannon, uh, Sharon, good afternoon. You're on the air with Dr. Bhattacharya. Yes, thank you for taking my call. So my daughter is 20 weeks pregnant. She did not take the shot or the jab or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. but her husband did. Well, And so it's, 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 it's DNA is... I guess under my understanding is in, in the cells. Would that affect the baby? Seems really unlikely. Uh, I, I don't know of a mechanism by which if uh, your, do- your, do- your uh, son-in-law took the, the, the vaccine, that it would ch- change anything in, in your daughter-in-law, or in your daughter's uh, uh, pregnancy if she didn't take it. So I think that, that uh, you know, there's lots of things to worry about during pregnancy, but this isn't one of them. Are people of ch- childbearing age who took the vaccine, um, who was mRNA vaccine? I think Johnson & Johnson wasn't derived that way. I think it was just, uh, I think it was the, the Pfizer. Virus. Yeah. Um, can it affect the, the genome? Can, can that mRNA somehow affect your DNA? And then get passed down to subsequent children. So, um, the, the, okay, this is a little bit complicated because the original vaccine, as it was used as a manufacturer in the trial, had no, no DNA contamination in it. Mm. But the manufacturing process they used for the mRNA vaccine, Pfizer used for the mRNA vaccine, its mRNA vaccine, not the Moderna, but Pfizer, right. um, included some DNA. In theory, it could, it could 
Uh, it seems very, very unlikely, and the epidemiological evidence suggests that it hasn't, but it, I can't rule it out altogether because they did use a manufacturing process that included some DNA uh, contamination of the virus, of the vaccine. But this is Pfizer for the mRNA vaccine, not, oh, not, yeah. not Moderna. So, yeah, I mean, I think in principle it could. I, I'm not, this is not the, the top of my list to worry about as, as far as like uh, the, the side effects of the vaccine, but it's a, it, in principle something that ought to be looked at. So much to talk about, Doctor. Lines are stacked, so I'm going to try to get a few more phone calls in. Uh, but I take another short pause. If you want to join us, feel free to try to get through. When I come back, also uh, there is another clip of audio I, you have to hear. It comes from Tucker Carlson in an interview with a, a guest who is telling him that the World Health Organization is going to use the next pandemic to take away your First Amendment. I'm saying, what? How will that be? We'll look at that. And, of course, new news that COVID vaccines could trigger vasculitis and damage multiple organs, uh, damage your blood vessels, uh, and more. Uh, just trying to take a look at all the, the different uh, angles to uh, latest news now coming out from, from COVID, including the origin and, and what we know. Stay with us. Your calls and more conversation with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya right after this. The Drew Mariani Show. Connected. Connected. Relevant Radio. Hey, today we'd like to thank Tom, who is listening in Illinois, for donating his 1978 Slick Craft boat. You can join Tom and thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Weigh in now. 888-914-9149. You're listening to the Drew Mariani Show. Hey, thanks for joining me. Always here to give you a look at life. You won't find anywhere else. If you missed any of the conversation, maybe you tuned in a little bit late and you said, oh, I would love to share that with my, my spouse or my sibling or my child or whoever it might be. Uh, this podcast, this broadcast, will actually be up in podcast form when I sign off. Maggie gets them up pretty quick, and you can download them anywhere you get your podcast, all right? Uh, you can also go to RelevantRadio.com. I, I think it's important to share so much of what we talk about here. And um, we had another great show today, some really wonderful conversations earlier throughout the day. My guest, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, joins us today. And I was talking to him during the break, and he actually told me that he does a podcast called The Illusion of Consensus. Doctor, it's pretty interesting. I, you know, for the, why don't you share with those who are listening what you shared with me? Because uh, sounds like something I'd want to tune into. Yeah, so The Illusion of Consensus is a podcast I do with a journalist named Rav Aurora, a young journalist in, in, in Canada. Uh, the, the, the theme is that we uh, are surrounded by claims that the scientific consensus says uh, we that we know certain things, and they and we and they ask us to do certain things in the, on the basis of that scientific consensus. On COVID, we we saw that over and over again. The science knew that we had to be six feet apart from each other, even though actually most scientists didn't agree with that. Science knew that the vaccine was going to stop you from getting COVID, even though most scientists didn't agree with that. That the lockdowns were needed to stop you from 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 spreading, even though many, many scientists disagreed with that. So the the focus is on talking to scientists and people about. Uh, these illusions of consensus, uh, such as they are, and uh, to try to uh, just tell people, like, look, be alert about these these uh, the ideas. Science is important; uh, it, it's useful and powerful. But consensus is not is often a political tool, not a scientific idea. Yes, it is. Um, I guess, Doctor Jay Bhattacharya. Before I go back to the phones, I want to play a piece of audio. It's your friend once again, 
Mr. Weinstein, and uh, he says the next, you know, pandemic is going to make changes in ways that we might not have seen this time. Check this out. Um, something is quietly moving just out of sight in order that we will not have access to them the next uh, time we face a serious emergency. So you're saying that an international health organization could just end the First Amendment in the United States? Yes. And in fact, um, as much as this sounds, I know that it sounds preposterous, but it does the, not sound preposterous. <laughs> the ability to do it is currently under discussion at the international level. And it's almost impossible to exaggerate how troubling what is being discussed is. In fact, I think it is fair to say that we are in the middle of a coup, that we are actually facing the elimination of our national and our personal sovereignty and that that is the purpose of what is being constructed, that it has been um, written in such a way that you are, your eyes are supposed to glaze over That's right. as you attempt to sort out what is, it, uh, what is under discussion. And if you do that, then come May of this year, your nation is almost certain to sign on to an agreement that in some utterly vaguely described future circumstance, a public health emergency, which the director general of the World Health Organization has total liberty to define in any way that he sees fit. In other words, nothing prevents um, climate change from being declared a public health emergency that would trigger the provisions of these modifications. And in the case that some emergency or some uh, pretense of an emergency shows up, the provisions that would kick in are um, beyond jaw-dropping. So again, doctor, that's your friend. I don't know a whole lot about him. Maybe you can explain who he is, but he is warning about the possible eradication of both personal and national sovereignty. This is already underway and a pandemic or something like that could certainly make the way to silence conservative voices. Um, unpack that for us if you could. Sure. So, uh, so first, Brett Weinstein is a is a, a, a prominent uh, uh, a professor of evolutionary biology. He was was once taught at Evergreen College. It was canceled for uh, for oh. basically saying common sense. Um, but let, but let me just say more more importantly about what he's talking about. The um, uh, the during the pandemic, the American First Amendment actually was on the ropes. Uh, it was very easy for governments to use their power including the federal government, to use its power to silence people who spoke up against the COVID narrative. Uh, I, I'm a member of a case uh, against the Biden administration called the Missouri versus Biden case, brought by the Missouri and Louisiana attorney general's offices that found the Biden administration used its power to threaten social media companies to say, you must censor these people and these ideas or else face you know, regulatory power to, to destroy your company. Uh, we're going to get a hearing in front of the Supreme Court this spring. Um, so, and the idea that that using the guise of saying, "Oh, people are saying spreading misinformation," they suppressed that is, government suppressed the right of people to to converse. Vaccine injured people couldn't talk to each other online without fear of being suppressed and censored. Wow. For instance, uh, and so the powers that the World Health Organization treaty are are, are sort of trying to trying to create. 
a version of them where I was actually used during this pandemic. And I agree with Brett. It is a danger to our democracies to have any agency to have the ability to suppress speech in this way. During emergencies, we need more speech, not less. Yeah, no kidding. I could not re-echo that anymore vociferously. Uh, Tom is in Los Angeles. Tom, good afternoon. You are on the air with Dr. J. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. J. Um, how do you, I, I like, before you uh, hang up, I'd love to have the spelling of your last name. Um, I have some questions. Long COVID, 18 months. Um, what is, I'll just give you the questions. What, what would you recommend as the best resource for treatment of long COVID that you are aware of? Are there any studies you're aware of that you would recommend perhaps getting into? And anything to do, what, what would you recommend? What are you, what are you aware of? Uh, sure. you know, the fatigue, the intolerance to exercise, the, you know, the brain fog, all this stuff is, is quite uh, uh, interfering with life. I'm so sorry to hear that, Tom. Uh, first, for my last name is Bhattacharya, B-H-A-T-T-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A. Every third letter is an A. Um, but the, as far as like what to do about long COVID, I mean, there, there, it's unfortunately that we don't have a ton of great solutions. And there's a lot of people... A lot of doctors that that will try to take advantage of you. Um, what I would suggest is find a legitimate long COVID uh, clinic, right? So, for instance, uh, I, I teach at Stanford University. I don't work in this clinic, but there's a long COVID clinic that I think does pretty good work at Stanford. Um, uh, there's, they're, they're all over the country, just, but just make sure that it's it's uh, that they're that they're working on science based uh, uh, treatments and not trying to sell you things that that aren't very well. Uh, well, well tested. Um, it's it's un- unfortunate. I think we're still in early days of trying to find good answers to the kinds of questions you're asking. Um, but I will pray for you, my friend. Hey, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Bill. Thank hang, you. Thank hey, you, too. Hang in there, boy. It's tough. 18 months with, with long COVID. Uh, doctor, our phones are stacked from Philly to to, uh, to California, Iowa City, and everywhere in between. Um, my apologies to everyone on hold. I, I, I'm out of time, so I'm going to give you the final thought here, Doctor. I've probably about a minute, minute and a half for you. Sure. Uh, well, thank you, Drew. Thank you. Um, so I, I think the, the main thing I want to leave uh, listeners with is what happened during the COVID pandemic was an absolute disaster for American public health. American public health acted in ways that made the disease uh, and and the uh, uh, the consequences of the disease worse than they should have been. We kept kids out of school on the promise that would protect uh, people from getting COVID. We forced people to get vaccines, even if the, the, the benefit-harm ratio wasn't well known. Um, uh, it, it could have been very, very different. And we desperately need an honest evaluation of, of, of these mistakes, you know, regardless of the politics. And we haven't had one yet. So I would recommend all listeners to demand every politician to say, well, we need a, we need a real evaluation of what happened so we don't make the same mistakes next time. Doctor, thank you. Keep up your good work. Hope everyone will check out your, your podcast. And uh, if you missed this conversation, share it with others. Maggie will get it up as soon as possible. You can download this conversation, listen to it at the relevant radio website or anywhere your podcasts are found. I'm out of time for the day. I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of your afternoon. I promise you my prayers. Say a prayer for me. Remember, God loves you. So do I. Have a great day.